Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. Uh, Craig has joined us, um, so we're recording. Going to get started. We're going to talk about um, plot versus character. And <clears throat> one of the things that I uh, often deal with, uh, because I am a plotter, is that sometimes I my characterization as I write will grow and change, and I will have to modify my plot to work with it. That happened a lot um, in uh, Unleash Your Demons. And now that it's out, I can talk about it. So there was actually a plotted sub, uh, there was a subplot about Obadiah Stane in Unleash Your Demons where he continued to be a big ass problem. And at a certain point um, in my original plot, Tony sent Nebula to kill him. Now, if you've read Unleash Your Demons, you know that in the plot, this happened shortly after Loki moved in. But if you've read Unleash Your, Unleash Your Demons, you know that Tony, that Tony ordering Nebula to kill somebody uh, or asking her to commit an assassination... Um, would have been um, terrible for their development as um, for their for their relationship. It would have been, um, but I didn't see that on the outside when I was plotting it. I was seeing I had written a list of problems and how I was going to solve them, and Obadiah Stane was a problem, and Nebula was my solution. It was an obvious solution, and I'm not saying in the future she won't take him out, but it won't be because Tony asked her to. It um, it just didn't fit when I got to that part to write it. I was like, I just, I, you know, and I had to go in and take some of it out because it just, you know, the the continued problem with a stain, and I pulled it all out and rewrote it a little bit so that it, he kind of faded into the background because um, it would have it, it would have mirrored Thanos in a lot of ways, and I I. I <laughs> it would have been and that's something that I did not see that it would have been a betrayal of, of Tony's um, characterization until I was in it and writing it and a lot of times when you're a plotter you don't always see the characterization um, choices that you, that you will make as you write because writing is a very organic process um Nebula, you know, there's a, there, there's every reason to believe that Nebula will eventually kill Obadiah Stane. Um, but it won't be because, like I said, it won't be because Tony asked for it or instructed her or even hinted at the, the fact that he probably needed to die and she could do it for him. Because it just doesn't fit. Now on the outside, when I was plotting at the very beginning, it fit. Because Nebula, that's, that's what she did. But Nebula grew and changed as I wrote, and she and she and she settled into this um, to this place on Earth, and she made herself a home, and she made herself a family, and it didn't fit. So I had to replot. And, but the problem is, is that sometimes some writers, when they encounter this issue, mistake, problem, they don't replot. They just plow right ahead and destroy their own characterization to serve their plot. 
and you can't be that rigid. Yeah, so you know, I, uh, I just, I, and it, that's the that's the example that really sticks out in my brain that I that something I had done in a plot that I realized just did not did not serve my characters. And there have been times when I made characterization choices that were so far flung from my plot that I had to back up and make different characterization choices. Uh, I had to make a decision about what was more important, my plot point or my characterization. Because sometimes you can't have both. Often you can't have both. <laughs> Is Jilly there? I'm here. Okay. Yeah, I, I agree. It's, it, sometimes, usually if you hit a hard stumble like that, if you want your, your characterization to stay good, you're going to have to make a change. And sometimes the change doesn't have to be catastrophic. I mean, sometimes in the moment, it can feel catastrophic, but that's when it's a good time to get some outside perspective and see if it's as big a deal as you think it is. Because especially for a plotter, when you run into a problem like that, it feels, I think it can feel magnified because it's like, oh, I failed to account for this. And oh my God. And you feel like you've got, I've got to change my plot now. Um, I talked on another podcast about, I ran into that with um, the come to Jesus verse, which is, the first story is called react where I had planned a pairing that was a hard stop. And when I hit the point, it, every time I hit the point where I could, could start sort of sort of sort of start building relationship chemistry, I'd be like, well, that doesn't really fit. And I'd move on. And then I, I would stay with the characterization, keeping the characterization good. I'm like, well, I'll, I'll work on that later until I hit a hard wall. And I was like, I cannot have these two characters get together. It just doesn't make any sense. And I, it, to me, it seemed catastrophic. And I think part of the reason it seemed catastrophic is because I am a romance writer and I just took my pairing out. Yeah. So it's like, <laughs> you just destroyed uh, your pairing. I'm like, uh, what, uh, 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 what? I don't, I don't understand what I'm going to do now. So I shelved the project. Um, you know, it was like in a folder called something like stuff, something I fucked up or something like that. I can't remember what I called it anymore. Um, but when I went to go reread it later, I was like, there's nothing wrong with this at all. It it just needs a last chapter. Uh, and and it, it doesn't need a pairing. It's okay. <laughs> it's a, and I thought I needed to kind of, you know, the thing is if at the time, if I'd gotten some help and said, could somebody give me some insight on this? I fuck, I fucked my story up, you know? a calmer voice would have come back and probably said, well, why do you need that pairing? <laughs> why is it essential? And I'd have flailed about and, you know, spun in circles for a few minutes and then gone, I don't know. <laughs> well, I don't. Because that's what I planned. But this is becomes the thing between the difference between what you need and what you want. And also, it comes to a point with what your characters need and what they want. Because there was a point for Tony Stark before they found Thanos that basically he wanted to set the universe on fire. Well, I couldn't let him have that. <laughs> that was destructive. <laughs> no, you can't let him have that. And there was also a point in Unleash Your Demons, and I, the line is something like that he had never wanted to get more disgustingly drunk in his life. And, um, but he didn't. He didn't. Because he knew that he would be disappointing people if he turned to a bottle for a solution. 
at that point because he'd come so far. This is when you balance the wants and needs of your character. He didn't need a drink. He wanted a drink. No, it's just mice and men. Women don't have problems like that. <laughs> yeah, it's true. We realize we have a problem. We see it ahead. We make a contingency plan. I have a dilemma. I have something really crunchy in my mouth. And it's really difficult <laughs> over here. <laughs> oh, I'm. The beauty of my um, being able to curate my podcast before it goes live is that I can um, delete stuff like that. <laughs> Sam. I went to Aldi's and I got this Tuscan Trail Mix. Very good. I highly recommend it. It's very savory. Margaret says, so from a pantser perspective with plot, you have the vaguest idea where you're going and you, you're trucking along and then you stuck and then you stall mid-sentence because you, you, you stall mid-sentence because you've realized you've backed your character into a corner and you have to rewrite the last 2K because that's the only way to fix the brick wall in your face. Um, sometimes that's true. And sometimes you need to stop and put it aside. Give yourself, give yourself about a week and then come back to it. And you might find that you don't need to dump the entire 2K behind you. Because perspective is everything. Yeah, break can be a really vital thing. Sorry, I lost my internet went down. I had to switch to my phone. How's my oh, okay. audio? It's fine. Okay. Well, you never know. I guess the cell phone network is okay. Okay. Well, you know, yes. Yeah, sometimes time and is your best friend when it comes to perspective. When it comes to your writing, um, and you're a very young writer, and I don't mean to harp on that because. Um, uh, youth is by no means a fault but the older you get and the more you write the more you will discover in yourself um, your your internal rhythm and you will find those problems even as a pantser you will see those problems coming sooner they will come at you sooner and sooner and sooner to the point where you don't have those problems as often. Yeah, I agree. Because sometimes it isn't the cat cat catastrophe. Was I really about to say that? It isn't the, <laughs> it, it isn't the ca catastrophe you think it is. You just need to give yourself a minute. Now, I had been working on um, something recently that's like every time I worked on it, I didn't feel right about it. And um, I was like, what is wrong with this? This is exactly what I planned. So what is wrong with this? Why? And it was the smallest. It was, it, it, I looked at every aspect ex of the scene except for, um, of what I was writing, except for the smallest detail. And it was this one tiny little thing that was taking this whole hopeful mood that the story was ending with and making it depressing. And it was a very tiny, de well, relatively small detail. 
and it it was it was not um it wasn't a major change to fix it once I figured out what the problem was. Uh, it, it kind of I might have a little bit of suspension of disbelief issue around it. So, but all I have to do really is I had to change it from one big scene to three little scenes, and I need to when I when I go in and do my final edit, I need to lay the foundation for the change I made so that it ends on a more hopeful note instead of a depressing note. And it's just it's just in this regard to this one character's arc that is kind of depressing. So well, sometimes a pebble can cause a tsunami. Yeah. So it was just it was it was a minor thing, but it was it was just dragging down the tone of of the end of a story. And I was it, it took me a while to figure out what it was. Um. And I did have to back up in order to fix it because the scene I had written didn't work. With it, you know, because the scene I had written was, revolved around this event that was making things a little depressing. So, but it, you know, I don't ever mind backing up. Um, well, sometimes I mind very much, but I don't, I don't like it. I don't hate it to the point like where it like throws me right out of writing to have to back up and redo something. If it's small, I will sometimes forge ahead. And save my um, concerns for the for the second draft. Yeah, this in this case, I, I don't know why because it was the last scene. Like, well, not the last scene. It was it was it was the last. Um, okay, so I was finishing up Sentry, mm-hmm. and and the funny thing is, I actually kind of did plow ahead a little bit, but I had. I had the scene right after they were in the conference room confronting Nick Fury. And then I get to this scene where the group gets together and that's where everything fell apart on me. And I was like, why is this whole kind of debriefing, you know, talking about what happened thing sort of throwing me so badly? What is, what is going on in here? That's not. And it, and I realized when I was reading it um, through, well, what I did is I was like, well, I know exactly what's in the scene. I just, I don't normally do is, um, there are actually, I think, there are two different issues with the end of Century, and um, I can talk about both of them. One of so the first one, I said, well, I'm going to I'm going to skip the scene because this is just wrapping things up with the group. Everybody's going to go off their own dire- separate direction, and then I'm going to the next scene is Tony and Thor are going to talk, and then the scene after that, the story ends with Tony and Tony talking. So that's what I'm going to. So I was like, how's going to do? So I went ahead and I went through, and I wrote to the end of the story and I've got this one scene that's sticking out that I need to finish. Right. So for my mind, I'm done, but for this one scene. And I realized when I went back to work on this scene that I kept writing and backing up and writing back up. I'm going, why is this scene so hard to write? This is just, it's just a logistical thing. Well, the problem was, is that I start the story basically with, with Bucky and I never give any hope to his storyline really. And, um, it was. Sad. That's really sad. <laughs> I know. And so, and the issue was, is that uh, Tony Dinozo was um, getting ready to take Bucky back down to his, basically his cell. And I went, wow, that's really not very hopeful. <laughs> Everything has moved on for everybody but Bucky. He's still living in a confined state. And I realized I hadn't done a very good job overall in tying up 
his plot line. I had addressed it in pieces, but it didn't, it wasn't kind of in a hopeful place. So I come up with a solution for it um, that I think is, is reasonable. And um, I do have to lay some foundation for it. So I made notes of that in the editing, but then my final scene, instead of becoming one big scene, it was wound up being three little scenes. So maybe four. So I think that kind of, kind of like, I was like, okay, I don't feel quite so awful about this now because he won't be going, getting marched off to his cell to spend, you know, the evening alone at the end of the story. Um, so that I, I addressed that. I didn't want to leave that hanging. But the other thing was I had written it into the plot that um, Tony would not tell Thor that they knew each other in a prior life, right? That he wasn't going to tell him that. And um, I just made a face at you. <laughs> I know. I know. I made, I made a face at me too. So, and I get to that, and I get to the point where I have to, you know, commit to that, where he's not going to tell him. And I couldn't do it. And, uh, and so I decided that I was going to change the last chapter that it was, and he was going to sit down and talk to him and say, you know, and kind of the, the re there were reasons why he wasn't going to tell him, but he kind of, you know, sits, it sits or Thor down in the chat last chapter and says, look, I gotta, I'm just going to come clean with you about, about this because, and part of it's because Tony doesn't want to go into, I didn't want him going into his new life, having to keep more secrets than were absolutely required because unlike Steve, who is still struggling a little bit with state secrets and that concept, Thor doesn't have any problem with the concept of state secrets. So Tony's work being something that Tony can't talk about doesn't bother Thor the way it bothers Steve in the other Tony relationship. Um, so Tony, Thor doesn't have an issue with that. So at this point, Tony's thinking he's moving on with a new phase in his life. Does he really want to have secrets in his personal life too? On top of not being able, because he's, you know, having to keep his work confidential is not the same thing as keeping something from his lover. So um, he decides he's going to spill the beans. And that was a re that was a readjustment because I, it wasn't sitting well with me that Tony had made that decision. And I think I justified it at the time I plotted it. That was, well, Tony's very used to keeping secrets. So this isn't that big a deal, but it's a very different kind of secret. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a, it's like a pebble in his life for everybody else. But when it comes between him and Thor, it's a boulder. Yeah. So, I mean, Tony Stark knows, Tony Stark knows almost everything at this point because they're kind of like little co-conspirators on everything. And so he knows that about this. And in the last scene we see um, that I published in century that publicly in century, Tony Stark asks him, are you going to tell him? He says, well, eventually, but, but not right now. And then I decided that that needed to just be dealt with because I felt like it was just going to be. Um... And one of the things Tony was worried about was that Thor would have expectations of him based on uh, having known this guy before. And, and, you know, and so I, I, I but I structured it where Thor re certainly remembered his childhood friend, but that he had known this guy for like 30 years, you know, 32 years. And Thor is over 1,500 years old. So it's someone he remembers fondly and that he cared about, but it's not like he, it's not like the Steve Bucky situation. Right. I, that, 
kind of eases the unreasonable expectations that could be fostered. Yeah. Now, what it does come up, which I, um, the thing is, I, I did have a ripple by putting that in that I hadn't anticipated, right? Which, and the ripple was that once Tony talks out loud about who he used to be, um, the eye in the sky is going to know. Heimdall. Because, yeah. Right. Because Heimdall is... Heimdall. Is it Heimdall? Heimdall? I always say Heimdall, but it might be Heimdall. I, don't, I have no idea. Um, the, he is... He's, I, it's my headcanon that he's always got an eye on Thor when Thor is off planet. That he always knows where he is. Uh, even if he can't actively help him, he knows where he is. That's kind of pervy. Not... <laughs> Not that kind of eye. Ew. No. Anyway, um, this person that, that, that I wanted to do this like double connection to, there is kind of a whole thing about um, Heimdall left a child on earth that he didn't know about. And that's who Tony's descended from. And so there were, I want to make this connection between like the ultimate Sentry and Tony's code name being Sentry, but who Tony used to be was Heimdall's actual child. So once I had that conversation between them and Thor is talking to him about who he used to be, um, of course, the eye in the sky knows. <laughs> He's heard this, that his son is running around, his, the soul of his actual son is running around on Midgard at that point. So I had to deal with that. <laughs> it's like, okay, I gotta, now I've got a ripple to my ripple, you know, because I'd planned to do something bad that really wasn't in character for Tony. So I'm going to correct it, but now I've put another. You put another. Or hang that's, I don't from, know what... that's from dictionary.com. I'm that looking at help. other. I know, right? I'm looking at other. Um... I look at that and see Heimdall. But maybe it's. Uh, 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 what is that supposed to be? Heimdall? Hey. Dictionary.com. Your phonetic pronunciation sucks. It's Heimdall. Okay. Um. Anyway, so I created by fixing one character based ripple, I introduced a new one, which is that, you know, Heimdall thinks he only ever had one child and he lost that child when that child was 32 years old. And then he finds out that he has a whole line of children on earth that he left behind on Midgard when they closed the Bifrost. Um, and I do know that that's not actually the way that's pronounced. <laughs> but I don't, I'm not going to try to pronounce it with the, with the diacritical mark on it. But anyway. Um, and then he finds out that the soul of his dead son is <clears throat> running around banging Thor. Well, he's going to have something to say about that. So I had to deal with that little extra ripple. In the form of Heimdall shows up at Stark Tower in the middle of the night. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the way I chose to handle it. I'm not mad because, you know. Well, and the thing is, is that uh, Thor's like, he can't be here. The bridge isn't repaired. How did he get here? Well, he found a way.
but when you but because i i have um i'm always going to try to make the right choice for my characters it is it can create plot problems and sometimes those problems feel bigger feel like they're huge when they're not Well, I say like one of the last scenes where in the in the story Tony Tony Denozo's hiding from all of this crap out getting some sun because the sun joke is never not going to be funny, never not going to not be funny. I like anyway. Um when Stark shows up and he says that Steve and Heimdall are tag teaming Thor giving him disapproving expressions. <laughs> Which I found to be very amusing. <laughs> Steve and Heimdall teaming up on Thor to Grandpa their- and great grandpa. <laughs> great, 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 great grandpa. But yeah, him Heimdall did summon the Bifrost without the bridge. He is capable of it. Yeah. I, I got the impression he wasn't capable of doing it very often. And he did that with I mean, it took like the rest of his life energy to do that with uh What's his face, right? Yeah. Well, no, anyway. I mean, Thanos actually physically killed him, so I don't think he, um, I think it was a, kind of a Hail Mary, but. I didn't get the impression it was something he could do often. So now he hasn't got, the way things leave, he hasn't got a way home, really. So, yeah, because Odin says Odin won't, Odin won't use the Tesseract to open, um, the Bifrost to, um, Midgard. But he doesn't say he can't go. He just says that Odin won't, Odin won't help, but he thinks that's the end of it. So Heimdall flies another way. Yes, the landing was a little shaky. At least that's the way the, at least that's yeah. the, way the, the, the sorcerers felt about it. So, but there's always, I always will favor... Um, why is it telling me I'm not current on the chat when I am quite current on the chat? It's probably because I've got Discord open in two places. Probably. Um, I don't think he would know the hidden pathways between worlds that Loki uses. Otherwise, he would have been able to keep an eye on Loki. So, it's not a, that's not a particular ripple that I would want to explore. I thought that him, him he, Heimdall didn't trust Loki because he never could see him. That that was kind of that was always kind of my inference is that Loki was outside of his sight so often that he uh, it made it diff- and for somebody who's used to seeing everything, I could say that could be a major trust issue. Well, he's a big guy, so he's got room for a little petty. Yeah, well, I I don't know that it is petty. I mean, I I know I do read a lot that people who are like write Loki centric stories tend to uh, a lot. I've seen Heimdall demonized a lot, and um, I don't know that I necessarily see a. I mean, there's some there's a little bit of some squiffiness and like some strangeness in in the first Thor movie that, but I don't, can't tell what the writers were trying to do with some of that stuff. Um, but. Heimdall, um, his role was to stand watch over Asgard. That's what he did. 
And someone let Loki, let's be real. I mean, I know that people may not like that truth, but this is the truth. Loki did let people into Asgard in a way that Heimdall could not see. Which Heimdall would have had to have taken very personally. That people snuck into um, Asgard. Hello, Frost Giant snuck (laughs) snuck in. But see, that's what makes me wonder if he can't see Loki because he's a Frost Giant. It could be. Yeah. So I would think based upon what his abilities are and what his function is in Asgard, that someone who can sneak around would really set his teeth on edge. And I don't know that it's personal such so much as you, you, you prevent me from being able to do my job. I don't, I don't know that I buy into that Heimdall has it out for Loki personally. No, they never talk about Odin being part Frost Giant in the MCU. I assume that Odin prodded Loki's magic when he picked him up. He kind of taught Loki's magic to hide what Loki was. Well, yeah. uh, yeah. But I think that I think that um, Odin was capable of very uh, advanced. He managed to make all of his people forget his first daughter. Boom. There's a lot of implications about the amount of magic that Odin used. And the fact that he brought home a frost giant baby. Yeah. I mean, even if they didn't know it was a frost giant, how did they not know Loki was adopted? Yeah. So, there's a lot of... Um, Now, I don't get the impression that Heimdall... uh, My impression of Heimdall's abilities is not that he's remotely godlike. He can see what he wants to see when he wants to see, but there's nothing that says he sees everything at once. So I think he he has to be looking at something or want to see it in order to see it. But Loki... I think Loki from if Loki was constantly disappearing as a child or it was always hard for Heimdall to see Loki, I think that would especially if there was Odin Force um at play trying to make Heimdall forget where Loki came from. So any any discontent between Loki and Heimdall could be laid to Odin's feet. In any case, I never saw anything between Loki and Heimdall more beyond Heimdall trying to do his job and Loki being a security risk. Which doesn't mean necessarily that he was right in some of the choices that he made, but he had a specific role to fulfill and Loki was sneaking people into Asgard. So, I think that Heimdall, Heimdall um, I think his character is very interesting and I'd like to explore him. Yeah, so I, I mean, I'm going to deal with... Um, the whole Loki Heimdall thing in and Odin for that matter in the sequel to Sentry which mostly takes place on Asgard um, the Warriors 3 and Sif did commit treason in the first book I mean the first movie absolutely yeah oh, I was pretty interesting in Black Panther when even though she did not support Killmonger's 
placement as king, she stood by him because he was king. Until it became clear to her that he wasn't actually king yet because that fight wasn't done yet. Yeah. I really appreciated her um, her her duty. Her loyalty to the crown, her, her commitment. Yeah. To the was... country. You know, it was country first and right. Then she was like really fucking relieved. <laughs> like, oh shit, great, thanks. That's awesome. Come 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 take care of this. <laughs> this is not good. Um, a lot of times the things that wind up driving people crazy in the MCU, I think, are just a function of shitty writing. Uh, I think what the Warriors 3 and Sif did in Thor was really unconscionable. They made a bad situation worse with what they did because they put Loki even more on the defensive. There's a lot of character fluctuation in the MCU. Um we see a character making a good decision here and a terrible decision here. Um, we see good traits disappear and bad traits appear out of nowhere, like they were always this way. And like, no, that's not that's not accurate. And I think one of the worst characterizations in the MCU is Natasha. Um, we never know where she stands. I think honestly, I don't I'm not sure I knew where Natasha stood until she sacrificed herself. The only thing I was ever clear on, which is why the scene where she sacrificed herself didn't surprise me, was that Clint was more important to her than Shield was. Um when she heard that Clint had been compromised. I think that that more than anything got her moving. And I think she, she was pretty, cause I mean, the thing is they didn't explore that as much as they could have, but anytime Clint came up, she was, she was one track and that's why her actions in um, winter soldier were so confusing. Cause they even contradicted that there because she would have burned Clint along with everybody else. Exactly. Unless she was so cold-blooded that she went in and pulled Clint's information out before the dump. But how could she have done that when she didn't have any access? They had to sneak in because they were all wanted by S.H.I.E.L.D. for Pierce's bullshit. So she had no way of doing that. So she burned Clint and his family yeah. in Winter Soldier. And her flip-flopping loyalty. I mean, the thing is... From a Tony Stark perspective, I think that they set it up to where Tony Stark was never going to be able to trust her, even as she was trustworthy to others, because she came into his life in such a dishonest way. Um, his first exposure to her was basically through corporate espionage in, in, in a way. Yeah. There's, no there's no telling what all S.H.I.E.L.D. was trying to get from um, Stark Industries by putting her in legal. And then um, the first time he finds out what, who she really is, she's basically assaulting him. So I don't think they set her and him up to be best buds in any fashion. But I don't. Th they still could have done right by her as a character. And they kind of started down that path in Avengers, and then they fucked it up. They just totally screwed screwed it. And then in Winter, and then in Captain America: Civil War, when she kept changing sides, it was like. 
I mean, is anybody dizzy yet? <laughs> I mean, if Tony Tony had managed to learn to trust her, and then she flipped sides in the middle of a battle, I mean, what the hell? And actually, depending upon how things went, post the person probably who could have gotten in the most trouble about what happened and all of that was Natasha. Because she signed the accords and then flipped sides. Right. Which means that she was in a position literally nobody else was in because nobody else had signed. So Tony continues to support the accords. And on his side, his people are doing what they're supposed to do according to the accords council. Natasha signs, but she flips. Which puts her in a very precarious legal position so that she can back up Captain America. Who, at least on his side, never agreed to any of that stuff. He never signed. So they just, they just, every movie they put her in after the Avengers, they just kept fucking up, fucking up with her. Now, it is possible that Clint's family were truly hidden even from S.H.I.E.L.D. I just have a hard time believing that. I think if Fury knew about them, then he had the ability to make sure that the rest of S.H.I.E.L.D. didn't know about them. But if Fury um, wasn't in on their little farm secret, willingly then he had a whole file on it against yeah. their will yeah and so mcu is a perfect example of writers sacrificing characterization over and over and over again in order to make their plot happen which then makes your characters plot devices and I I don't like it when the character starts to feel like a plot device to me. Um, that's the way I felt about Tony Stark and Spider-Man Homecoming. I, w I was just like, what the fuck did they just do to Tony Stark? Did they just ruin his characterization so that um, a, a teenage superhero could have a, some sort of ex existential angst? I they could have done that a better way. There were other choices. Well, you can look at almost any plot event in the MCU and say that. Yes. The writing was deeply inconsistent. The characterization was inconsistent. Um, we didn't get a cohesive story. We didn't get a cohesive arc. Um, the pieces don't line up. As it turns out, everything was not connected. Just saying. Yeah. Wow, Tiffany. Spider Man was your introduction to the MCU. I, you must really dislike Tony Stark. <laughs> That's really sad. I mean, did you back up and watch the other ones? <laughs> he was he was funny. I will agree. But the thing is, what he wasn't was anybody who should have been allowed anywhere near a fifteen year old. He was deeply irresponsible with Peter in that movie. Well, you know, I think that was. I mean, I think that basically that um, Tony Stark had never had any kind of parental <laughs> experience, not even from his own parents. And he treated Peter like he would have wanted to be treated at that age. No, see, I disagree because uh, the reason I disagree is because the point that became the plot device, the pl point where they turned Tony Stark into a plot device is when Peter came to Tony, 
for starters, Happy kept not answering the phone, which was ridiculous. But beside that, when Peter came to Tony with, we've got a serious, there's a serious problem. And Tony says, I'll handle it. And then cuts Peter out of the loop. That was not Tony treating Peter like he would have wanted to be treated. And as a result, Peter thought that he was being stonewalled. And he went and tried to deal with him on his own. And Tony already had it under control. And Tony's lack of communication there put him and Peter at odds. And it's, that was the moment when, I, if I remember correctly, that's the moment when Tony t- took the suit back. I haven't watched the movie. I, oh. just listened to, I just listened to you complain about it. Oh, well, see, yeah, there's this moment where Peter figures out who's... De- who's the, the premise of Spider-Man Homecoming is that um, right after, when when... When Tony Stark reinstituted the Department of Damage Control and took over the cleanup from the aliens and stuff, that it, it put a bunch of people out of work. And they were angry, and so they started stealing all this alien stuff and making energy weapons out of them and, and dealing, dealing these alien energy weapons on the black market. And Peter, what, later on, years later, Peter runs across the guys doing this stuff. And... Tony's been enabling him in his superhero gig up to this point, including the stuff in the Captain America Civil War. And um, Tony made him a suit. He put, he gave him his own AI. I mean, just all of this stuff, right? So that Peter, ostensibly so Peter's safer, but he's not insisting that Peter talk to Aunt May. He's not doing anything remotely adult responsible. So, all right. I totally buy the idea at that, up to that point that Tony is doing what, um, treating Peter like he would want to be treated at that age. But then when Peter comes to him and tells him there's this problem, Tony gives the appearance of giving him the brush off and then won't take his calls and leaves Peter thinking that there nobody's taking him seriously about these people who are dealing these weapons in, in, um, you know, when in fact Tony roped in the authorities to deal with it. And there's an undercover sting that happens that Peter fucks up trying to go in and deal with it himself because nobody will talk to him. And then Tony gets very angry about Peter screwing that up where a fucking fairy gets cut in half, basically. And Tony cuts Peter off, basically. He takes a suit and walks away, leaving Peter kind of heartbroken. And that was the point where I was like, what? I mean, what are are they doing with Tony? He is like, he's schizophrenic. I don't understand this. And they were doing it to make Peter's arc happen so that Peter would have this moment where even though everybody told him no, including Tony Stark, that Peter went and saved the day for Tony. That Peter, Peter found out that, they were some, that these people were going to hijack Tony Stark's stuff as it was being moved to the compound from the, from the tower. And Peter's the one, no suit, basically, who saves the day. And t- that's when Tony uh, offers to invite him to become part of the Avengers. Tony, it was so badly written from a character front for Tony, all to make these various things happen in Peter's arc. So Tony comes off like a plot device instead of a character. Which is deeply unfortunate. Which is really, I mean, Tony Stark is, is, to me, is the heavy hitter in the MCU, and they treated him like a plot device. I wonder how RDJ felt about that. I mean, was was that really his final straw? Say so you guys in your office up because I'm done. Oh, it was just it was just crazy. I mean, what they did with Spider-Man Homecoming, and then yeah, at the very end, Peter 
Tony, they have a press conference set up. They never bother to talk to Aunt May. They're going to bring him into the Avengers as a 15, I guess he's 16 at that point. And Peter's the one who says, no, I don't think I'm ready for it. Um, and Peter walks away from it. But Tony comes across as being all over the place in that movie. And it drove me crazy. It drove me crazy. I mean, who turns Tony Stark into a plot device? And that's exactly what they did. And, and that is why um, Spider-Man Homecoming is one of my most hated movies in the MCU. Even though there's nothing wrong with Spidey, even though there's nothing wrong with his relationship with Tony, they had such a fail of characterization in that movie that it's, it's unforgivable in my opinion. Yeah, they wouldn't pay the but they wouldn't pay the tab to bring Tony in as um, a cameo in some movies where he was desperately needed. But they paid the tab to put him in there and treat him like a plot device. That's just crazy. And they could have accomplished that stuff in a better way. They could have had Spidey go through the same arc without sacrificing Tony's character. But the thing is, a writer would have to pause and stop and look at that and figure out another way. And that's the problem. A lot of times authors or writers are impatient. And they're like, they got blinders. They're like, this is the plot. I'm going to execute to it. And to hell with the characters and what it says about them. Oh, sorry. But they, I, they need, I agree. They needed to set up that mentor relationship for what they had planned for Infinity Wars and Endgame. But they could have done it without treating Tony Stark like a plot device. They could have actually had him be a mentor instead of just having him ignore Peter in the moment when it really mattered the most. Right. I mean, th this is a case of somebody needed to be maintaining a series Bible for the MCU. They need to be maintaining character Bibles. And there needed to be somebody doing sanity checks, running every plot, every single Every single script needed to go through every single person who was responsible for being the characterization gatekeeper to say, is this movie going to be okay from Tony's point of view, Steve's point of view, Natasha's point of view? Is it going to mess with their characterization if we did this movie and have somebody who's like quality control going, no. And that I think it's because you have too many egos in play. There are too many... Um, different directors and different writers and um and there's a lot of ego involved in, in, in something like this and uh if you don't have somebody at the wheel you're going to end up off a cliff yeah there is um queenie there is a podcast where we talked about a plot bible i don't remember which one but we are it was sort of more of an aside in that one i think but we are going to do a whole podcast on series bibles and group writing things and how to maintain yeah. that kind of stuff so we are going to do we have a whole plot a whole podcast planned at some point talking specifically about series bibles and um and what you how you work with that and, and what that looks like and that kind of thing because in in series that are really well scripted and have really good character work somebody is responsible and i don't and whether it's a movie series a series of movies or a tv series somebody is responsible for maintaining the quality being the gatekeeper on those things it doesn't happen by accident 
you know, and the writers have to bend their ego to listen to the person who is that gatekeeper, who is the person who has the final say, who says this is out of character for this character. Yeah, or to make sure you don't change when your character's birthday it is, or, you know, just, I mean, it, it's, fans notice, fans will notice when your character's birthday used to be in February and then it's in November. They absolutely notice stuff like that. They, it's sometimes, it, the first time I noticed the degree to which fans notice thing, it sort of astonished me. I'm like, who has time to pay attention to those kind of details? And then I got into fandom and started writing fan fiction, and I appreciated the fuck out of the people who take the time to notice those kinds of details. And so it's really frustrating when it is, when, the, when it's contradictory. When a character has multiple birthdays or when um, in the same season, you know, or when um, you're writing a werewolf show and they're, they're doing stuff on the full moon and they forgot it's the full moon. I was trying to um, figure out which one of the podcasts had the series bible in it but we're gonna like like julia said we're gonna do a whole big one so it is the one where we talked about the unicorn relay i just we didn't that wasn't the main topic of that podcast so i don't know the first it was the first time we talked about the unicorn relay but i don't remember what podcast that was no me neither but it had to be in 2019 yeah since we started so. it this year um but yeah, in, in the MCU, they clearly didn't even care about that. And, and it could be because every little cluster of movies had its own creative team and they didn't want to work with each other or maybe they were just paying for people's egos or I don't know. But they took something that could have been exceptional and they made it, in, in its way, kind of average. It's got really good special effects. It's got good acting. It's got good characters who aren't developed and they're not consistent. And that's, that's, that's tragic. But they put that much money and effort into it. And, you know, production teams were so busy giving each other the double bird that they couldn't bo be bothered to try to stay consistent with each other. Yeah. And don't even get me started on what they did with DC. That was just one big pissing contest. All the inconsistencies in that are all about pissing contests between directors. It's a terrible, terrible thing. It's shitty. It's, it, it is. you know, but in the end, I mean, you know, the actor gets paid, the director gets paid, they, the, they make their money in the box office, and then it's the fan that gets shafted. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the only I mean, one I watched is Wonder Woman. Really? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I have the others, but I just haven't watched them. Um, Jlar says that uh, I assume she's talking about the series Bible and the Feeding Frenzy. Um, Three twenty nine nineteen fandom and junk. The static personality. Oh, that was the last podcast we did, wasn't it? Before we had... That was the last blog talk podcast, wasn't it? I think so, yeah. Um, it's really interesting to not be on blog talk because I I didn't realize how much like that timed thing was stressing me out. Having to oh. have my butt right in the seat right in time and, you know, and having to call in and 
be subject or risk having dead air or whatever. Yeah. Because this time you're just like, you're like, oh, I, I'm, I'm going to be a couple minutes late. I need to get tea. <laughs> <laughs> tea was important. Tea is important for a podcast. But if without getting into specifics, if you look at if you look at what happened with Justice League is that they had to bring in a pinch hitter director who basically changed the direction of the movie. And OK, but instead of just living with that decision. There were some but there were some people got butthurt about it and went behind the scenes and they retconned Aquaman to be not consistent in any way with what we saw in Justice League. So, which is canon? Because they're not the same character. The Aquaman in Justice League is not the same Aquaman as we see in Aquaman. Not the same character, even remotely. Now, I like the Aquaman. Explain it to me. <laughs> Explain it to you? How are they, how are they different? Um, Aquaman in um, Justice League was... Um, well, he did some stuff. He did some stuff in Justice League that he didn't. I mean, he had his mother's trident, but he got it through a different means between the two movies. Um, wow! Wow! It was. Um, it, it, they just they his connection to the um, Atlanteans was was portrayed being completely different between the two movies. Um, he didn't seem to have had any contact with the Atlanteans uh, between. It went in Justice League, and yet in um, it, until he showed up to go look at the mother boxes, and then in but they they kind of retconned that, and he was a lot more he wasn't as frivolous and as um, sarcastic and stuff uh, in in Aquaman to me. He seemed like a I mean he just portrayed the character was portrayed very differently. So now does Aquaman come? After or really before Justice League in the timeline? After. Which makes some of the things they 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 changed in, you know. So, I thought, and I don't watch Aquaman, obviously, but I thought the Aquaman thing, the whole point was he was getting his mother's trident. No, no. No, okay. In, in Justice League, he... When the mother boxes, when he has to go, he when he finds out that one of the mo the mother boxes are at risk, he goes to s secure the one, see if it, that they need they need help. And Steppenwolf shows up and takes the mother box with relatively little effort. And they say they need him. They the Atlanteans tell him, "You need to go and secure that mother box." And he says, "I'm going to need some stuff." And he gets his mother's trident. That's what he gets from them. Is his mother's trident in order to agree to. But then we go to Aquaman and he's apparently had his mother's trident since. Yes, his, her trident gets broken in, uh, in Aquaman. But he's apparently had it since childhood, I guess. Um, and he'd been trained by Atlanteans, by an Atlantean, his, all through childhood to be a, a warrior. Um, even though he didn't have any contact with the Atlanteans and his mother's supposed to be dead um, in a very different way than what I interpreted from Justice League. So it was just, it, I felt like I was watching two different things. So Aquaman, the, the main story events of Aquaman take place after Justice League, but it felt like a different character. 
Wow. And it felt like, honestly, I don't know if this is true, but it felt like um, that Zack Snyder was pissed off about what Joss Whedon had done with Justice League. And there was, it, it, it is in um, the director of Aquaman did say that he got, he consulted with Zack Snyder about Aquaman. So. I am rolling my eyeballs. Well, they had to reshoot a bunch of stuff in Justice League once um, Joss Whedon came on board. And I don't think it was just ass shots because they might have been. (laughs) Well, all those fun. There's a bunch of funky scenes with Superman where he looks weird. And it's because they couldn't get him to shave his. They had to bring him back on set after his filming commitment was over. And he'd grown a beard for his next role. So they had to take his beard out with CG. Um, for all the shots where his mouth, all those shots where his mouth look weird is because they CG'd out his beard and his mustache. So that's how much was different that they went to all that work. They, they CG'd out a beard, which apparently we still are not very good at. Because <laughs> <sighs> the first thing was, I'm sitting there, we're sitting, we saw it in the theater, I look over at my sister and I went, what's up with his face? <laughs> is something wrong with him? And she leans over and she said, they CG'd out his beard. And I was like, all right, I gotta get the story on that later. <laughs> all the ass shots were perfect. Yeah. But the and beard thing, you know. There's plenty whatever. of there's plenty of nice butt in I don't know. I don't think I don't appreciate Zack Snyder as a as a director. He's not no, he doesn't do a damn thing for me. Yeah, me either. I know that there's some like there's probably gonna be some like nerd boys who hear this and go, Oh my god, you can't you know, we're not Zack Snyder fans. I think he's kind of a douche. So But I also think Joss Whedon's kind of a douche. So um whatever. Yeah, well, the thing is, it was basically two two douchebags double burdening each other. <laughs> Patty that, should be the director, just across the board. Yeah, this is just just give the whole DC thing to Patty. Yeah, so it they they could have done better, but what happened is two movies wound up. Justice League wasn't awful. I mean, so it it was entertaining in its way. The tentacles were overdone. Steppenwolf was a little bit too um, stock villain for me. Um, I did think the whole mother box concept was fascinating. And what some of the stuff they did with Superman was really interesting, especially since Superman was dead. But Oh, that's you know, happened before. Bu- yeah, well, but getting a bunch of superheroes together. Some of the scenes, I have to say, some of the scenes around should we resurrect Superman or not were really well done. Because Aquaman especially is like, this is a bad idea. <laughs> we, you don't know what we're going to get if we raise him back and who's going to be able to control him. Everybody cross their fingers <laughs> that we don't get a fucking psycho back. But yeah, Superman apparently, like in the comic books, I think that they even buried Superman in a glass coffin outside so that the sun could, if the sun could heal him, it would have the opportunity to do so. Because Superman derives his power from the sun. Yeah. So it was, there were a couple of, there are especially some moments in, in, uh, Justice League that I thought were very good. To the, the movie overall didn't live up to its high points, which is unfortunate, but they were still good. 
So overall, it was entertaining, even if there were some things they really should have they'd done differently. But then Aquaman came out, and it felt like a complete disconnect. And I was like, and then I find out all the stuff about you know Zack Snyder was you know upset about the way Justice League had gone, and he had consulted with. I read this article about how he consulted with the director of Aquaman on the direction for the movie, and I was just like, my eye roll was supersonic. It was. I'm not supposed to roll my eyes that hard because again, this is a case of like, I'm not, I'm not, they retconned in MCU. They retconned the um, timeline for Iron Man. Um, The first Iron Man movie to make it line up better with the events of the MCU. And it's probably because Iron Man came out so early in the, in the, in the timeline, they didn't know if there was going to be an MCU. Right. Right. So, but once they, once they knew it had legs, they needed to get that movie to, to align. So instead of the events of Iron Man taking place in 2008, I think they take place in 2011, but maybe it's 2010. I'd have to double check Collider. But anyway, um, they, they did retcon the dates, but they didn't retcon a character. And I think that there's a difference between saying, look, we're going to, we're going to adjust where something happened in the timeline versus saying, you know, completely redoing a character and making them, because what does that do to everything else that character has been in? It makes it um, inconsistent, but they pick their plot over their characterization. And most of these movies do it every time. They have some story they want to tell, and it doesn't matter if the character lines up with it. I was talking to my husband about um, the characterization arcs and the overall story arc in um, Babylon 5. And how, um, even to this day, I consider it one of the better made um, television shows to to exist um, because they paid special attention to the characterization and you watch the characters grow and mature and change and even in the small moments there was obvious care given and that's just really rare we don't get that these days no no some shows do better than others but Babylon 5 was really a shining example of clearly somebody was maintaining a series Bibles. Clearly somebody had character bios that they had to stick to. And, and there was, there was somebody doing quality control on that stuff and good for them because that's, there's no reason not to do those things. It's not that hard. You talk about character arcs and, um, especially in science fiction, uh, we see a really great character arc for um, uh, McKay on Stargate. Not so much for John. He's very static throughout throughout the series. But you see McKay grow and change. Mm -hmm. Um, You look at a character like... um, Benjamin Sisko in um, Deep Space Nine. I mean, he when when he first comes to um, Deep Space Nine, he's he's grieving the loss of his wife. He's angry. He blames Picard for what happened at Wolf. It, the number fell out of my brain. The three fifty nine. Thank you, Lady Holder. Um, it just completely fell out of my brain. It's really crazy because I was looking at it earlier. Uh, he's. Um, 
he's not really sure. He's kind of hesitant in his relationship with his son because he's no longer part of a partnership. He's dealing with it on his own now. He doesn't have somebody to fall back on if he makes a mistake. You know, it's it's just him and the kid. And then you see, and he didn't want to be the prophet. And he was like, "What you want me to do? What? No, <laughs> this is no." But then by the end of it, he's really embraced his role as um as the prophet. Um. And he's embraced, he's, you know, he's raised his son, he's, he's found love, he's opened himself up, and um, he's a beautiful character arc. Not always pleasant, but beautiful, because it was really, it was fully realized. And we got more out of him as a character than we did any other Star Trek captain. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping that the Picard series will give us some really awesome characterization for um, for Picard. I want to see him. Although uh, Picard had a decent arc as far as character work goes. We saw him come onto the ship. Someone who was very deeply uncomfortable around children. Um, who was stiff and um, very rigid. To someone who eventually, thanks to an alien device, um, raised children and had grandchildren. Um, in, in his memory, was one of the most amazing episodes in that series um and he really he really grew and changed not as much i think as benjamin cisco did i think they gave cisco a lot more room than they did um Picard because cisco had a large story arc to work with whereas most of next generation was monster of the week it wasn't until they got into the later series, like the season, that we got some connecting episodes and um, some reality with the Borg. And it was just, but Deep Space Nine had a really strong story arc, much like Babylon 5. And that's where those com those com those comparisons come in um, beyond the whole space station thing is that they both have a really deep story arc. And I am talking with my hands like you guys can see me. <laughs> But I've never actually watched Voyager, so I couldn't tell you. I watched 20 minutes of the pilot and went, nope, and turned it off, and I haven't turned it back on since. <laughs> so I don't have an opinion about Janeway. Jilly, did you watch Voyager? <laughs> uh, one episode. <laughs> But that's all I watched of the Star Trek Discovery, too. I was like, no. I had a hard no on that one. Now, the funny thing is I do think it got better later. But I don't want to go back and deal with the stuff that I objected to up front. So, uh, my, my mom, my, my mom's favorite Star Trek series is Voyager. I don't even know what to do with her. It's just like... I... Yeah, I didn't really... I didn't care for Voyager, so. But I haven't watched a single episode of Discovery because I'm not on board with this whole retcon sister thing. Yeah, and yeah. And Spock and Spock and Discovery, from what I've seen, isn't very Vulcan, which really kind of threw me. It's so desperately divorced from my head canon that I can't even know. Um, a Voyager. One of my issues. I, I felt like Voyager was a knock, lost in space knockoff, and um, I don't know. It just didn't. I, I, I didn't think we needed another one of those. <laughs> so, 
Sometimes I didn't. Sometimes, did we need that once? Get some better science. I think Voyager could have been awesome, but it wasn't. It's just really shitty because I was actually looking forward to a female captain, and I actually like the actress who's playing Janeway, um, who played Janeway, Janeway. But I just, my husband made it all the way to the Amelia um, Earhart episode, and before he noped out, um, so did I lose you, Jilly? No, you have not lost me. I am, I am here. The podcast lost me, but I am here. <laughs> you actually sound much better on your phone. Do I? Yeah. I haven't heard any pops or anything. Well, maybe my Wi-Fi just sucks. <laughs> Could be. You might need a new router. I, I probably do need a new router, but ugh, I'm really hoping that's not the case. Yeah, they're expensive. Stupid. They are expensive. <laughs> this isn't Wild Kingdom. I'm pretty sure GPS tagging wouldn't work on me anyway. You'd probably be allergic to it. I probably would be. <laughs> they get that thing in there and I'd be like, it itches. <laughs> I've got hives. What are you doing? I'm still waiting for my bubble. I used to have a uh, house phone that I could not bring near my computer because um, my computer would turn it off. There was something about like my either my Bluetooth signal or um, my Wi-Fi component and my um, t my phone were completely incompatible. Happened every time. That to cuss yeah. like a sailor and call the person back. It was not a cell phone. It was a regular portable house phone. That is so weird. Yeah. What are you, what are you putting out? An electromagnetic pulse or something? I don't know what my computer was doing. He didn't like the phone. I went into... I used to work in this, this company where I had to go into the QA lab sometimes. And... I started to feel like I was like being targeted or something because this one guy claimed that every time I was in the lab, things would go mysteriously wrong with the computers, their test, their test equipment. And I'd be like, come on, stop it. And he'd be like, nope, nope. Every time you're in here, something goes wrong. And I'm like, no, dude, stop fucking with me. So one day I go in and I went in the, came in the back door and I'm standing there waiting for this guy who's doing some tests for me to finish so I can get the results and all the way across the room this guy who'd made this statement all of a sudden he kind of rears back from his computer and goes what the fuck and he says is Chili in here and he, <laughs> <laughs> he turns around and I'm just standing there looking at him he's like somebody put a grounding strap on her <laughs> and I was like what the hell so I left and, and the guy told me, they're like, it is so strange. Every time you're in the lab, weird shit happens. I was like, that's not even... I thought they were fucking with me, but I kid you not, they kept a grounding strap. They didn't make people wear grounding straps in the lab, so technically it was policy. But they actually had one. They started putting one by the door, outside the door that had my name on it. Did you wear it, and then did it help? Well, I wore it. I don't know that it helped. <laughs> but I put it on. I go in, I'm like, yeah, fine, whatever. That's interesting, because I can't wear a regular watch. Well, I can wear one, 
but within about a day, it will be dead, even if the battery is brand new. It makes me wonder because this was after I had the surgery where I made to get my sternum wired shut, right? So I've seen x-rays of my um, sternum and it looks like my sternum's held together with garbage bag ties. That's exactly wow. what it looks like. There's these little thin wires that are twisted shut and it's tucked down into the, in between the ribs. It's like, there's like seven of them. I'm like, it looks like hefty bag ties in there. Oh. So after this, and this job was right after that, right? So I'm like, did they leave something in there? <laughs> something I don't need. Did they leave me an accessory that is messing with these computers? But no, I haven't been able to wear a watch. I mean, I you know, it doesn't do me any good to wear a watch. And I was considering getting like one of those watches, you know, you, you hook up to your phone. And I was like, it probably never stay charged. Because <laughs> I noticed that if I handle my phone a lot, even if I'm not actually using it to play a game, like if I carry it into a store or whatever, that um, I can go into the, like, into the grocery store with a full battery on my phone. Um... And if I just, like, keep it, like, in my purse, it's fine. But if I'm holding it or if I'm, you know, the, the, the battery will just, like, and I'll be, I'll be practically dead by the time I get in the car with it. It's even worse if I have to use it. I keep yeah. my phone constantly on charge. Otherwise, it will, it will be dead all the time. Wow. So I had to look it up because I was trying to remember, to me, the one big contradiction that they had um, to me about um, Arthur Curry and his mother was in um, Justice League. I just finally found the quote. He says to Mira, your queen left me on my father's doorstep and never gave me another thought. And in Justice League, she stayed and helped try to raise her son and planned to stay there. But the Atlanteans came for her and she had to leave to protect them. And he knew that. And then they killed her for being a traitor, which is a completely different set of circumstances. So, so either he's a liar or they retconned his history. They retconned his history. And I think it's because they wanted to him to have not actually dislike his mother. In, in Aquaman because of, of the way the storyline was going to go. And the, so they couldn't afford the anger that he had uh, for her in Justice League. It's really irritating that they don't. You it's see, that problem wouldn't exist if they had planned ahead. If they had a character Bible for the Aquaman before they went into the Justice League, that line wouldn't exist. Right. If they had decided what his what his character backstory was. Um, and it came off in Justice League like she, you know, banged a mortal and got pregnant and then dumped the kid on daddy's doorstep. But in it's clear in Aquaman that's not at all what happened. She was running away from an arranged marriage. And fell in love with a mortal. And they lived together. And were in love. And she uh, had a baby. And was playing housewife. When the Atlanteans found her. And basically dragged her back to Atlantis. Where she was eventually executed. Well supposedly executed. Which is a completely different set of. That, I mean that's. You couldn't be more contradictory right? Wait so she's not actually dead? No. 
no, she's not. But he, nobody knows that. Everybody thinks she's dead. She survived. The way they, the way they, the way they execute people is they basically feed them to these, um, these other types of Atlanteans, the ones that kind of went crazy and sort of bestial. Wow. And, um, so everybody thinks she's been sacrificed to the deep, which means she was eaten, right? But she's a badass, so she survived. And she's, but she can't get back through. She's stuck on the other side of this trench because she'd have to go through all these things that eat people again to get, to get back home. And so she's stuck on the other side of this trench. And um, of course, part of Arthur finding King Atlan's trident means he has to go through that trench. And when he gets the other side, he finds his mother there. Does he bring her home? Yes. Okay. But I might, well, I might watch Aquaman just to see that because that, that sounds really interesting. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then, and Julie Andrews is the voice of, uh, I was sitting listening to the voice of the big monster at the end that's guarding Atlan's trident. And it's, I was like, is that Julie Andrews? Really? Is it? I think that is. My sister's like, no. I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's Julie Andrews. I can't remember the name of the, the creature that is guarding the trident that uh, is is there too um my mom loved the aquaman movie but she hated um the uh justice league and that kind of makes sense why because she said she actually didn't want to watch aquaman because she really didn't like him in um justice league but then she got lured because he's it's on our voodoo so every time she opened up voodoo he'd be right there looking all beautiful and stuff and she said she just couldn't handle it so she clicked on it one day <laughs> Well, he's kind of—he's <laughs> kind of a dick in uh, in Justice League. I didn't. Mom really said so. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I didn't really care for him. Um, because the because uh, someone asked in the chat room why incest is such a big thing um, in fandom, and you, actually, it's not just in fandom. If if you go over to like Litrotica, which is where you can read and post free erotic stuff there's a whole big section on incest it's terrible be careful um it's taboo and some people find taboos um like incest uh deeply arousing there's no explaining it the human psyche is is it is what it is sweetheart <laughs> Okay, there's no explaining it. <laughs> I mean, sometimes you can trace the origin of a kink, and sometimes you can't. Yeah. Okay, so these are... Yeah, I mean, how many people were on Twitter hoping that Jon Snow would bang his aunt? Ugh. Didn't, didn't he murder his aunt too? So I don't know. Did I just spoil Game of Thrones? Sorry well, I mean, if I did. I, I don't know if that actually happened or not. So I, people being all about it, wanting it to happen on Twitter doesn't tell me if that actually happened or not. Oops. It's I've never even seen the show. I it, heard that he killed her. So I'm not sure how I could have been a spoiler. <laughs> it's so, all over the internet. <laughs> so this, So these things, that thing right there that I just posted a picture of in chat. These are the the creatures that live in the trench that she had to swim through to survive, which is why she was trapped. 
that thing. Thousands of them. Well, good for her for making it. Yeah, like I said, she's a badass. So, and she was her, she made her armor out of parts of them. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to see it now. I'm gonna go watch it after I get off the podcast. <laughs> just to, just to see that part. <laughs> yeah. So the end, actually, I I really enjoyed how they kind of took dealt with kind of the ending of it. Um, because the thing is, he can't control, he can't unify Atlantis and control all the different, I don't know if they're tribes, the kingdoms of Atlantis or whatever. If he doesn't get the king's trident, then the king's trident is down past that trench. So, you know. They toss him down there thinking he won't succeed and he does? Well, no, he, he does it on his own. He, they tossed her down there thinking she was going to die. She was sacrificed. But this he, he's doing it on his own because he needs to try to save Atlantis. Or he actually, he's trying to save the surface. But that's him going into the trench. Is he by himself? No, he's with Mira. She's the Atlantean who's helping him. So, so they both go? Yeah. She doesn't die, right? Cause I'm, I'm not no. going to watch. Okay, okay. No, he, he gets his girl. He gets his girl. Yeah, how does Arthur not set Atlantis on fire for feeding his mom to those things? <laughs> well, oh, you he, know, he hates Atlantis. There's no doubt about that, that he absolutely hates it. But he, because um, he does blame them for killing his mother, which, like I said, is completely retconning Justice League. So he does blame Atlantis for killing his mother and for taking her away. Well, he finds out she was sacrificed. So they do, he does blame them. But he doesn't do, he doesn't go on this quest This he has to go on for Atlantis. He does it for surface dwellers because Atlantis is planning to move on the surface and conquer it. And the only way Arthur can prevent it is to get the king's trident and become king. And whoop his brother's ass. And whoop his brother's ass. That's right. All right. I'm I'm I'm, I'm on board. I'll I'll watch it, but I'm st- I'm still not going to watch the damn Justice League. <laughs> I don't I, the thing is, it would, honestly if you watch if you watch Aquaman and you enjoy it if you enjoy the character art they set up for Arthur watching Justice League would you'd find infuriating because they make him shallow they make him kind of sexist um uh they make him um hating his mom it's just it's completely different it's a completely different vibe and there is nothing wrong with Jason Momoa in just his wet, in just his jeans, sopping wet, getting in that submarine at the very first movie. <laughs> there, ain't, there ain't nothing wrong with that. I did see that in the preview for permission to come aboard. Yeah, it, and me, we, mom, me and mom were in the theater when it happened, and I went, "Yep." It's like, oh boy, they did some they did some nice tattoo work there, folks. Some nice tattoo work. Not mad at it. But I'm sure that whoever, you know, whenever they looked at what was done with Justice League, that they basically turned in Justice League, I think they turned Aquaman into a throwaway character. And I think that at least while I don't like everything that happened in Aquaman, I think they at least made him a character. Which was better. Well, it seems like, you know, I don't think... Um, I think when a director comes into DC, they want Batman. Not this um, new one. <laughs> huh? Not this new one. You know what I mean, though? It's like... Mm-hmm. The, 
they want the big guy. They don't want they want Superman. They want Batman. Um, they don't want Wonder Woman or um, Aquaman or the the Flash, the Flash, or the Martian Manhunter. Um, and so they treat all the other characters like they don't matter. Yeah. But if you want to give me a Justice League movie, give me Wonder Woman and Superman and the Wonder Twins and the Martian Manhunter and Aquaman and then give just go in. <laughs> yeah. Now, one thing I will say about Justice League that I think that they they did one thing I thought they did do a good job of was other than I mean they kind of made Aquaman and the Flash throwaway characters, which was not I don't think that was a good decision to make. Um but what they did do is they 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 kind of reimagined Batman's role in things, which was a little bit more kind of starting to step back. He's getting older. He's hurting. And they made that really clear that he's like, there were several times where he's like, I am too old for this shit. And they positioned him as an aging Batman who's getting hurt and not, not, not recovering very quickly. And he was recruiting Wonder Woman to be the team leader. And when they had they had some confrontations and he's like why aren't you stepping up why are you staying back in the shadows so he batman was sort of like going to be the the money behind the whole thing is the way he was positioning himself and he was trying to put get her to take over he wanted her to be the leader of the justice league and i really appreciated that, that was the approach that they took that the, the, and the dynamic between them i didn't like ben affleck in as batman in the first movie but i did like him in justice league so um, I thought that they, I thought they did a better job with his character in that movie than they did anybody else's, which was unfortunate because, um, you know, I I didn't like him at all in Batman versus Superman. So, but yeah, it was. I thought it was really interesting that they went that direction with he's he's trying to step back. He he gets he gets hurt several times where he's just like oh, um. I mean, he dis I think he dislocates his shoulder at one point, and he's not telling anybody that he's dislocated his shoulder, but he's dealing with it on his own. And Diana walks in, and she goes, okay, here, let me. And she just goes over and pops his shoulder back into socket, and they have a little moment. And it's clear he wants her to take over and lead this group. So I like that they were positioning her as being in charge. And by the end, she was ready to step up and call the shots. And so I thought that that aspect of it was well developed but they fell down with almost everybody else well so if he is bruce wayne then um what version of batman is twilight boy going to be i i have no idea i mean I, how does that even work they just, let's let batman retire okay i mean because um if 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 he's Robin, Robin didn't become Batman. He eventually became Nightwing. Well, there was no, there's no Robin in in the Justice League as yet. Yeah, as yet. There's no obvious successor. Although there was, I mean, there were some good sort of mentor moments between sort of some of the moments between Flash and Batman were were entertaining. Um, but it, I mean, certainly Flash isn't, you know, the Flash isn't Robin that by, by no stretch. And so I think they should just let the Justice League go without a Batman, quite frankly. 
Bruce can go ahead and get old and let his yeah, Bruce kind of collected robins. He looked, um, he collected broken little birds and and turned them into superheroes. That sounds awful. Bruce it's collected true. robins, yeah. But in in Justice League in the DC extended universe, which in which there's no Robin in it, uh, pro- I do have to say the fight scene with Superman was really well done because he kicks everybody's ass. <laughs> there, of course, he would, right? Of course, he would. And so, aging aging Batman is like, yeah, I'm definitely bleeding this time <laughs> because Superman just goes to town everybody. <laughs> So Superman came back evil? He didn't come back evil. He didn't really come back knowing what the fuck was going on. They He comes back from the dead. He doesn't know what's going on. And he sees them as a threat, which is exactly what Aquaman was like. He's not going to necessarily know friend from foe when he wakes up. And he's confused. He died fighting with, you know, with Batman and Wonder Woman. But um, he, he's definitely, I would say he's more confused. He's not evil. And it takes him a while to figure out what's going on. And uh, he, one of the things he says to Batman is, you won't let me live and you won't let me die. And he's angry. He's really angry with Batman. And so he kicks his ass. (laughs) (laughs) Ash just said something in the chat room and then somebody else said something. And I'm going to say for the record, uh, she says, it's kind of creepy, really, that a rich man collecting young athletic boys and dressing them in fetish gear. And someone says, don't ruin it, ass. I don't think she ruined it. Did did we not notice that? <laughs> I think that's on point. <laughs> I mean, I they were all of age, right? Well, but eventually. I think <laughs> but I think there's a reason why there's not eventually. A, a, I think there's a reason why there's not a DC extended. There's not a Robin in the DC extended universe because that Batman was too old to be collecting young boys. I'm just saying. It sounds. It seems really unfortunate. Well, the um, the Robin in Dark Knight was a cop. <laughs> but that's one of the things. Actually, it's one of the things I struggle with with the with the movie ver- movie universes. If people really conflate the comic universe with the movie universe, um, and they don't mind the contradictions and yet they try to make other things the same. I don't know. It's very weird to me the way people will point out you're talking about something that's like happening in the Marvel cinematic universe and people will start talking to you about, well, in the comics, it's like, what does that have to do with anything? No, no his name was Robin. Literally his name was Robin and he did. No, no, I know. But no, I, I don't know the, the, the person in the chat room. Um, I never read the comic books. I've never seen a child Robin. All the Robins that I know are from TV, um, cartoons, and um, uh, the movies, and they're grown-ups. Yeah, that's all the Robins I know, too. So the stuff that happens in comics never means anything to me when I'm talking about. And I personally wouldn't be all that, that upset to see Joseph Gordon lo- um, love it in, love it in um, fetish gear. <laughs> I know you wouldn't. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> I think I, he's I, really I, pretty. 
I got into a plot thing one night with some, but we're, we're, it was it was in it was in a chat room, I think on Facebook, and we were trying to work out some plot inconsistencies with something in the MCU, and there was this one person who just kept bringing up, well, in the comics this and in the comics that, and we're like, which just creates more contradictions. Why are you bringing up the comics? And that it, I think you have to be able to compartmentalize when you're talking, like if you've got a TV verse and a movie verse and multiple comic verses, sometimes multiple TV verses, they're not all the same. And to try to treat them like they're one, trying to make them one giant consistent thing is just doomed to failure. And especially when you've got a, like a, if you're doing a fan fiction based challenge where you're picking a fandom, you are picking a verse. And trying to reconcile all the verses into one, I'm wearing my unimpressed face. Someone asked me a question about that recently, about for the purposes of the movie, could you know, for a movie something, could they do this, this, and this with the with the TV show or the comic stuff? I'm like, you're making my head hurt. <laughs> oh, Kira's muted. I didn't think that was just. There she is. I, I had to go to the little girls' room, and you were talking. So I I put B right back in the chat room. Did you? There did. was a lot. There was there was a lot in the chat. So um, <laughs> anyway, it's too much tea. <laughs> yeah, I just think it's important when you're trying to pick it, what you're going to write in. If you try to bring, try to reconcile the inconsistencies, especially where you have a comic canon, a TV canon, and potentially multiple movie canons. You're, you, it's it's an effort doomed to failure, and why do that to yourself? If you can't, yeah, let's say you pick one, you want to do, um, you want to do movie Mar Marvel Cinematic Universe, okay? But there's an element of something from some one of the comic universes with Tony Stark that you want to bring in. As long as you don't create a horrible ripple that would invalidate your universe it can be like little easter eggs for your readers that you're bringing in these little things but you have to be careful because to some degree there is a there as much as we feel like that we've talked about how they're terrible about consistency there is some consistency there and people can break what consistency there's there that is already there by introducing elements from the comic books that were discarded for a reason, probably, from the cinematic universe. I picked up a single detail from ne for Nebula's character um, to put in Unleash Your Demons. Um, because Nebula actually has a device that lets her appear human. In, I mean, in the comics. She has an implant of some kind that um, I never could find the full definition for that allows her to change her appearance. And so I made the skin suit in that particular, um, just kind of like a little thing, you know, cause she already, she had it in the comics and I thought that would be really cool. I don't have to worry about, you know, a nano thing, um, failing on her, you know, they're being a question about it cause it, cause it could be a big ripple. So I wanted her to have something that, um, that I didn't have to worry about. And that was a little, yeah. uh, a, little a little Easter egg, and I think that that worked. I thought it worked, that worked really well. It made perfect sense because when it, well, but especially when you're talking about comic book science, you know, you mm -hmm. you got a lot of you got a lot to play with in comic book science. Um, yeah, plus the alien hookers. Yeah, 
but it'd be like trying to bring in some like character backstory from a comic that directly contradicts what's been established in a cinematic universe. I, I mean, why would you shoot yourself in the foot that way? Because that has ripples, right? Big ones. Like if you change um, Peter Parker's relationship or how he gets bit, because let, let's say you prefer uh, the origin story from, from, from a comic book, or you prefer the origin story from um, um, a different set of Spidey movies, right? And you go with him having um, organic web shooters, which is actually my personal preference. Mine too, which is what he would definitely have in a sequel to UID. He would, he would definitely have it. I think that's one of the best parts of the, of the, of the Tobey Maguire thing. It, it makes sense. It does. It does make sense that they would be organic. Um, but it, it is a ripple that I think sometimes people don't account for if they make his web shooters organic. But you have him coming, becoming Spider-Man in a different way. Yeah. Uh, well, so... And I know you'll look It's my headcanon, actually, that um, that in some way or another, Norman Osborn was responsible for Peter becoming Spider-Man. That it was... Um, and, and also, Peter's parents actually were S.H.I.E.L.D. That's canon. I looked it up on... Is it the comic book canon, maybe? They were CIA and S.H.I.E.L.D.? I don't know which canon that is. It might be MCU canon. But, um, so it, it kind of made sense that they would have, well, no, <laughs> no, Friday is, is no, that's, that's not how that would work. Um, Friday has a, a auditory connection to Nebula, and she can tap into her um, her infrastructure as needed to see. Like if she needed to see something that Nebula was seeing, she could do that, and she can give Nebula images because um, through a Wi-Fi connection. Um, but um, Nebula can tell Friday to go, you know, elsewhere. <laughs> I got stuff I need to do because <laughs> they're sisters. They're not. That would be incestuous to me for them to have a threesome. Because they're sisters. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely a very sisterly vibe there. I do, I, I do want um, her to eventually reconnect with Gamora. And I kind of like had this scene in my head and I'm not sure if it, I'm not sure if it'll ever happen where the guardians come to earth because Thanos is heading there and um, the guardians end up uh, because of the way they approached earth, they end up basically in shields hands first and they have to have a meeting with the iron legion and Gamora recognizes her sister, but she doesn't say anything. And, um, and then eventually they get alone and, um, Gamora is, is furious because she wants to know what, what this asshole earth man has done to her sister, <laughs> why she's not the appropriate color. 
what have you done? <laughs> she has a big fit, right? Because she thinks that her sister has basically fallen into a in the hands of a man just like Thanos, and uh, they have some some fast explaining to do. <laughs> Because, you know, for Gamora, she thinks that Nebula has gone off and she's living her best life. So I think in, in Gamora's mind, she has this fantasy going that, that Nebula is somewhere safe and she never has to worry about Thanos again. And she never has to, to fight for her own life again. And she's just out there, everything going really well for her. And then she gets to Earth, and there's her sister, who's about to be at ground zero of a Thanos invasion, and she can't, this this is not what she wanted for Nebula, you know? So, I'm kind of looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to it, too. <laughs> <laughs> so... I have a lot of different ideas for where I want to go with the next um, book in that, in that. And I don't, I mean, there are a lot of different directions I could go. Uh, uh, but I know where thing, you want to go. I, yeah. <laughs> and I probably will go there. But I also think that um, I... There comes a point when the secret of Nebula's true origins um, is whether or not that's revealed. Um, and for me, I say no, never. I, th I think it's um, something between her and Tony and Friday and Jarvis. Um, because um, in the end, when she tells people she's Nebula Stark, she's telling them the truth. She's yeah. not lying. And it, it, it's a real change. It, it's a transition point in her character when she really believes that. When that is her truth. And so I don't want that to be, ever be a question. So eventually I think that, you know, Gamora will come to Earth because of Thanos. And I want Nebula to get Gamora back, but I don't want Gamora's presence to damage or um, qu call into question her her truth. You know, when I plotted that scene where her, where, where Tony yells at her, I was like, I'm not so sure about this. <laughs> but when it came time to write it, it was so organic. And it was like, yes, the, the, this is the moment where he just, he fully owns the paternal love he has for her. And, you know, that they both have to acknowledge it. Well, at that point, Loki definitely knew he was adopted. <laughs> In a lot of ways, Loki um, has a different perspective on ad on adoption and um, secrets of that nature. And um, so, uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was a, it was a turning point for them. And her admitting that she, you know, most of all that she wishes that she could tell Gamora what it was like. And, and, and how much it meant. So. Um, I don't want her origins to be a big secret. 
You know what I mean? Like it just becomes this big looming secret in the back of the series. So yeah, but but I can see them, you know, at some point addressing it where she where they talk about it and and they just flat out say there is no secret. This is who you are. That's it. Because at some point, there's just some things you can never tell people, right? Um, it her origins being revealed is on par with them revealing that they time traveled. And why would they do that? They can't afford to do that because it puts too many things at risk. It creates situations where people around them go, "What? Well, how long? How long have you been manipulating me? And um, what have you done to my life? What would I have had if you hadn't done this?" Right. Well, yeah, Loki is a uh, frost giant, and Loki is blue in reality. He wears a glamour powered by his own magic, and he's worn it all of us basically since he was picked up by Odin. And so... Oh, I, I'm pretty sure she meant Tony. She just said Loki. <laughs> Well, Tony's favorite color is blue. <laughs> it might not have always been blue, but now it is. <laughs> now it's blue. <laughs> well, but even if the thing is, even if it came out that she was blue, you know, even if that, even if her skin suit were to fail, which, you know, Kira has complete control over whether or not that skin suit fails. So it, you know. Yeah, that she has but, the X gene. It would be, in fact, I. It, it's my headcanon that that Tony is actually a mutant, which yeah. which is why I brought it up. And um, Betty thinking that um, that Tony was a mutant and that probably Nebula was too. Um, so even if she, she did go blue um, on a planet where uh, there are blue mutants, it, she wouldn't stand out. I mean, she would stand out, but no one would automatically jump to the conclusion that she was an alien. They would assume that she was a mutant. And even at that, I mean, even if even if it once aliens are known, you know, once they find out that the the you know if people ever find out the Krees or was it the Skrulls who were there, the Krees, no, the Skrulls were the ones hiding on Earth. Um, and the, well, the Krees came too, so they they were both but, there. But the Krees weren't shapeshifters, right? But you know, Tony could just shrug and go, "Well, I didn't know her mom was blue, but why? <laughs> I don't care. I don't care." I'm not xenophobic. What's the matter with you? What's your damage? <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> so her mom was blue. Stop being so judgy. <laughs> yeah, Peter's like old hand, right? It's because, well, you know, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> your ability to climb up a wall really isn't a problem, son. You just, you just don't worry about it. But, you know, I also do kind of want Loki and Tony to have a baby together. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> I, I do. I kind of I like the idea of, of Loki having to convalesce on Asgard pregnant with Tony Stark's baby. And he's just a big old asshole about the whole thing. Because <laughs> all these jackasses have expectations of him because of that stupid hammer. <laughs> that damn hammer <laughs> the minute he moved that hammer I was just like what did she just do to Loki <sighs> <laughs> he is he's not going to be pleased by that 
No, no, and that was the point. That was the point. Um, that uh, for me, that Loki's um desire for atonement. Um, I think he, even in some respects, he was paying lip service to just even even himself that he really didn't believe that he had it in him to change the way he did and he didn't believe in some respects that he deserved the family that was kind of being given to him and he's quietly you know kind of appalled that he he's got all these these feelings for Tony and plus he's kind of got these weird paternal feelings for Tony's ninja bot <laughs> <laughs> and he doesn't know what to do with it. <laughs> and then and then Peter comes along. And but then that stupid hair. <laughs> he's and like then, and he has to deal with the fact that he he's actually accomplishing what he and what, what he set out to do. That he's growing and changing. Um and that he surpassed um the man he used to be. So it's about, he had demons to let go of too. It just wasn't Nebula and Tony um, letting go of the baggage that they brought back with them from this terrible future. Loki had to do some work too. Which is why it's called Unleash Your Demons. Or, or what was the working, did you ever disclose the working title? I did not. <laughs> I did not disclose the working title. The working title of Unleash Your Demons was Team Daddy Issues. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what we called it. I mean, we, even though she'd called it Unleash Your Demons, we just kept calling it Team Daddy Issues. The whole time she was working on it. Because they all got them. <laughs> yeah, they all got them. Yeah. And she didn't want to reveal the team daddy issues thing because she thought it would be a gimme. People would figure out what she was working on. I was like, I don't know. Practically every character you write has daddy issues. That's because <laughs> I've got daddy issues. <laughs> I'm aware no, I, of, of no, my own daddy issues. And I, that's, don't mean, I don't mean you give them daddy issues. I mean, canonically, they have daddy issues. Yeah, I think that that's because I'm attracted. That's why I'm attracted to them as characters because they do have daddy issues. And I recognize that in myself. I do have issues around. Um, paternal um, love because my father abandoned me when I was five um, or four. I was four and a half. Um, and I get it. I understand it. And I understand why I'm attracted to these characters. Um, like Tony Stark, like Tony Dinozo, like John Shepard. Um, I, I think I actually gave Rodney more daddy issues than he had, but I felt like he probably did have those daddy issues and they just didn't write it. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's, you know, Nebula, uh, Gamora. I'm, I'm very attached to the idea of Gamora. I, I think that Peter Quill probably has the biggest set of daddy issues possible in the MCU. Uh, yes, Peter's daddy issues are, are legion. <laughs> Immense. Because not only did his own father try to murder him, murdered his mother, but also murdered hundreds of his siblings. Yeah. And that, and that um, everything Yondu did 
Yondu was his actual father, right? So he's got double daddy issues combined because Yondu, everything Yondu did was to protect Peter from that fate. And so Peter thinks Yondu's been awful to him and Yondu's been protecting him his whole life. Man, did it break your heart as much as it broke mine when he said he might have been your father, but he wasn't your daddy? Oh, yeah. I was a I was mess. like, oh, oh, my God, how dare you? <laughs> I was a mess. And the thing, the thing is, there was this, um, there was this, uh, what's it called? Um, this list of, somebody put out a list of Marvel care, MCU characters that died and stayed dead. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. So I click on it and read it. And one of the people that they mentioned was Yondo. I'm like, did you have to bring that up? Yeah, did fuck you. you. To, did you have to bring that up? That wasn't cool. You know, Quill didn't have a great childhood, <laughs> but I, and honestly, uh, I think a lot of people conflate, is that the right word? Um, uh-huh, conflate, yeah. The mythology of Loki with the actual character of Loki. Um, I even mentioned it in um, Unleash Your Demons because Loki looks at Tony like, do you honestly think I gave birth to a six-legged horse? Horse? Yeah. <laughs> Are you fucking serious? <laughs> I, I actually get a little weirded out. I, I actually, a lot of times, I look at it as a, way, a form of, of Loki Wump, is where people try to put the mythology in there. Like all those, because honestly, Odin did enough bad things to Loki. We don't need to tack on the things. That Especially since in mythology, Loki and Odin were brothers. Yeah. So making some of the things that that Odin did to Loki, like taking his children away and sewing his mouth shut, and some of the or had done to him, um, Loki's got enough going on without re visiting those things on him from coming from his his father, as opposed to his brother, which is bad enough. Because that means that Loki did that to, I mean, that Odin would have done that to his own grandchildren versus it just being his nieces and nephews, which is bad enough, honestly. But um, I find it deeply flawed. And whenever I see it happen, and it just it throws me completely out. No, he did not get his mouth shut. They gagged him at the end of Avengers. Um, he was muzzled. Um, Probably because they were afraid he would use his magic on them. Legitimate fear. I mean, he had just led an invasion. Um, but his mouth was not sewed shut. And no. he was put in a cell, but it wasn't like it was a deep, dark he hole. Had, he had a nice cell, and he was not he was not gagged or muzzled in there. So, although it's my head can that Loki just entered. He, he, he sort of... Um, um, humored them by staying in there that he could have gotten out whenever he wanted. I th also think he could have, but also I think that maybe he was just healing and recovering from what had happened to him. Because yeah. it is canon also that Thanos tortured Loki and used the scepter on him to brainwash him. Yeah. So Loki's had enough done to him without revisiting the stuff that happened in mythology on him. So, I mean, you do you. I don't, I don't, I don't want to get an email about, <laughs> you know, all the reasons why you, you've done, you know, you've put these terrible things to Loki, whatever. If you ask what you want to do, that's what you want to do. <laughs> but, but I find it off-putting as a reader. I would yeah. never do it as a writer. Definitely not. Because there's plenty there to work with. It's awful that's happened to Loki. And his father, Odin, was, was, was awful enough in canon without making him 
accurate to mythology. That's just, whoa. It takes um, neglectful parenting right up there to abusive parenting. And you can say that neglect is abuse. In some situations, it most definitely is. Um, but in others, it's just because they don't have the ability to be a good parent. And they don't know how to do it. And they don't bother to learn. That could be abuse in your mind. Could not be in your mind. I mean, J.K. Rowling still thinks Harry Potter wasn't abused. I mean... <laughs> well, I think she did eventually kind of go, yeah, maybe it's abuse. <laughs> We're all going, maybe. But she also thinks yeah. that Hedwig had to die to let to sever the tiles between Harry and his childhood. So, Which I'm pretty sure that happened when she killed Sirius. But okay. Um, yeah, J.K. Rowling came out a long time ago and said that she didn't think Harry living in a cupboard was abuse and that he hadn't had an abusive childhood. Yeah, she was she was she was uh, almost startled by the, that fan assertion that Harry was an abused child. She was like, "No, Harry's not an abused child." I do think she eventually kind of went back and go, "Well, maybe he was an abused child." But her first reaction, her gut reaction was that she had not written Harry being abused. And we're all sitting there going, "He grew up in a boot cupboard." Really? Or broom covered? Whichever. He was he forced to do all the labor in the house that he could, including cooking meals that he barely got to eat. And he was verbally abused and called a freak? Um, I was like, wow, really? You think he wasn't abused? Okay, that? if that was true, if the Horcrux was the reason, how come the Horcrux didn't make everybody in Hogwarts, including Dumbledore, hate him and try to kill him? Yeah, it should have had some effect at Hogwarts. It's an, it's an, it, I, I see people play with that theory, but it, it doesn't actually, I don't think, um, hold up well uh, to any kind of scrutiny that his, his family treated him. The only thing you might be able to do is that something in the blood wards is causing their behavior. But even so, it doesn't change the fact that he's not, he he's, was an abused child, regardless of the reason why. Yeah, Harry had scars from that dog. So whatever, JK. <clears throat> but you believe that if you need to believe it, you know, okay. We'll let you have your delusion. I agree, baby. Dark. I, I agree that that Ripper was also abused. That the, the dog and Harry were both abused in that situation. Well, Dudley was abused too, right? So everybody, oh, absolutely. Who, everybody who could not, you know, make a, a legal adult decisions was was a victim of abuse. And I doubt that she thought that Dudley was being abused, but he definitely was. Well, I'm not sure I would say that Petunia was unpleasant long before the Horcrux came along. The only memories we have of Petunia before that are from Snape, and I don't trust him. He's very self-serving. Yeah. All the memories from Snape are, are, are questionable because even, even Dumbledore said that memories couldn't be trusted because they could be biased. And perspective is everything. Of course Petunia was unpleasant. She was unmagical. And Snape didn't like muggles because he was a fucking Death Eater. I mean, not immediately as a child, but still. That, can, that came from somewhere. It came from his mother. He befriended Lily because he saw that she was a witch. Otherwise, he never would have given her the time of day. Because he was raised by a blood purist. And he willingly became a Death Eater. Just saying. <clears throat> I 
My favorite death in Darkly Loyal was Percy's. Percy, <laughs> Percy's, really? Okay. Yeah. I can't stand Percy. <laughs> I, I don't know like, why Percy didn't die in canon and then Fred and George could live happily ever after in their junk shop. <laughs> I really liked um, Umbridge's. That whole thing with the um, with the cart. That was funny as fuck. <laughs> Umbridge dying with a, with a goblin? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that was great. Her final moments. <laughs> that was an early birthday present. <laughs> yeah, and it was an opportunistic death, which I thought it was like, oh, well, here's an opportunity. Let's just go ahead and kill this lady. <laughs> Let's not leave any opportunity unexplored. Yeah, I like the opportunistic nature of it. I was like, yeah, that's good. Yeah, Dudley was rewarded for bullying Harry, which was, which is abuse for both both children. He was taught to be he was taught that he would get rewards for being ugly and, and engaging in violent behavior, um, which is they were teaching him they weren't teaching him good life skills. That, that's for certain. <sighs> bait. There was bait in the sack. <laughs> bait in the sack. Yeah. Winky sack when she had um oh oh in the, Goyle yeah. Jr. so she could trap Goyle Senior and kill him. <laughs> you mean these the the smelting stick? I'm not sure the smelting stick was meant to be used as a weapon. <laughs> Did any of you guys catch that Easter egg I put in Gravity? Where McGonagall told Harry that Dobby had stole some stick from um Dudley Dursley to hit Snape with. <laughs> that amused the shit out of me. It really did. <laughs> Just saying. Well, we have a new story up on Quantum Bang. You guys, we have four days left. Right? Uh, yeah. This yeah. is day 10. So we have... We just had one story post, so we have what uh, nine stories, uh, eight, seven stories left. Uh, no, one left today. Nine. And we have nine left. We have nine left. Yeah, because today there's five days total, including including so Monday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and we had that uh, first Monday post just go up, so that's nine left. Okay. Nine left. Which well, who, who just went up? Who just went icebreaker. Up? Ah, the sequel to Remix 394. So for those of you, there were some people who didn't, who read, because I, I saw the comments. I had to edit a couple comments. People were like, will there be a sequel? I can't wait for the sequel, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, hush. Um, hush your face. So, <laughs> There's a sequel coming. <laughs> she said it, 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 there was all, because she telegraphed the hell out of that, that there was going to be a sequel in the challenge. So, yes, the sequel to th Remix 394, Icebreaker is up. As of and, uh, 12 minutes ago. <laughs> And what went up this morning? I don't remember. I, I haven't actually... I actually well, Lady Holder went up at midnight. Up last night. Yeah, and King's Cross Redux by Penumbria went up at noon. Which apparently has a really surprising ending based on the comments. I haven't gotten to read it yet. So um, I hope you guys have gone over there and read that. 
or we'll be reading it. Add it to your list. I know we, I know we kind of put you guys in a thick coma, dropping all these novels on you, but you're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think, I have we put people... out too many? I, I mean, I'm just curious. Uh, like, yeah, are Big Bangs normally bad. this big? Is it is it too many novels? Is it too much, people? We need to know. Do we need to spread this? Do we need to spread this posting out next year? They'd be like, do one a day. <laughs> They're like, no, no. <laughs> She's like, what the hell? No, of course not. Well, I mean, I, the thing is, that's one of the reasons why I tried not to do two of the same fandom on the same day, which took the reason why the posting was not truly random is because I didn't want to double up on any fandom or put fandoms back to back. So. You know, we had 11 Harry Potter stories. There were there was going to be a Harry Potter story almost every day. But it didn't mean that we needed to, you know, put two Harry Potter stories on the same day. So yeah, As long as we had a choice, you know. Yeah, and we didn't. I, I, we never needed to do that. But the thing is, because we had six MCU and 11 Harry Potter, there were going to be days that you were going to be Harry Potter MCU, Harry Potter MCU. But you know, I did the best I could to break up that, and then within fandoms, let the let let the order be somewhat random as much as I could. Like within MCU, there was one L aspect of randomness that I couldn't control, which is that since Icebreaker is a sequel to Remix three ninety four, Remix three ninety four had to post first. That's just the way that goes. So truly random, no. <laughs> but you know, we did we tried to make it as as random as possible where I could. We have four, five days left uh, to sign up for um, Rough Trade. And I think we've got... Uh, the stories are not coming down off the Quantum Bang. So the no. Quantum Bang is where there, there is an archive. People, Some people have already started posting them um, to other locations. Some people may never post them to another location. But you don't have to worry about rushing to read them. The only reason a story would disappear from the archive as if an author requested we remove it. And of course we would accede to their wishes. So, um, we have 36 stories for rough trade so far in July. That's 36? Cool. 36. 36. Cool. And that equals 18 signups so because each author has two stories nice which is actually kind of small for our july last year we had uh 47 and the year before that we had 71 but that was a little black dress challenge um so and Little Black Dress Challenge is always pretty popular. The July before that, we had 81. And I think that was our first Little Black Dress. Little Black Dress brings all the kids to the yard. Which is why next year we're going to do it all year long. You guys are going to... Might, you might get sick of the Sentinel by the end of the year. Or you might be like me and you're like, I'm never done. So, so far we've had the Avengers, um, James Bond, Terminator, Sherlock, Independence Day Resurgence, Captain America Winter Soldier, Billy, El Billy Elliot, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. We got several Riddick stories, I believe, so far. We have Star Wars, 
Avengers Endgame. There's there's some in, there's 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 quite a bit of MCU. Battle of the Five Armies. We got some more James Bond, X Men, more Riddick, The Losers. We're, we're getting a loser story in um, July. And we're also getting one from 1951, The Day the Earth Stood Still, with a 1951 edition. So that will be interesting. Um, but lots of MCU. And we're also getting um, Singing in the Rain. I and, saw Singing in the Rain. I was like, wow. Yeah. I was like, pretty cool. But the MCU is featuring moderately in July, which is not a surprise because we're, you know, we're still not recovered from Endgame. <laughs> we are definitely still not recovered from Endgame. Not that I'm dealing with Endgame, because fuck that. But there are some Project Files already posted. Um, we've got 22 posted right now. So you can take your butt over there and, um, Well, it's actually called the the uh, the singing in the rain sign up is called Kiss Me Cosmo, and it's by Goddess Forty Seven. She hasn't done her project fall yet, but you can look forward to that dark. See what that's about. I got two. Yeah, so there's a lot there's a lot of variety in the coming in uh, in terms of having to pick movies. People went a little bit all over. I had right, yeah, it's pretty cool. I did. I talked last night. I did. A, I did a last minute change on one of mine, but I just did decide to go ahead and do one of the Hobbit movies, and I did uh, Age of Ultron, and uh, I still want to want to write that Riddick one, but I think I'm going to do it some other time. Maybe not for a rough trade though. Rough trade is a special environment, and sometimes it, you you have an idea. That may or may not work. Oh, we just got we just got another sign up. Actually, it happened like just now. I see you, Dark. <laughs> Star Trek two thousand nine and Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows part two. So there's another one. <laughs> we all thank you for fucking up the epilogue. Appreciate you. What epilogue? I ain't seen mine since I bought the book. <laughs> uh, just saying. Well, I still have not gotten that grilled cheese I wanted earlier. So I think that we're going to end the podcast so I can go make myself a grilled cheese because I'm getting kind of hungry. You teased yourself with grilled cheese for this long? I know. It's ugly behavior. I don't even know it, what to do with myself. Really? It really is. I mean, and last night, I just seem to recall someone saying to me last night, that level of masochism isn't sexy. Hmm. <laughs> I wonder, that was somebody actually who'd been told that, that, that the person in question was going to go to Costco on a fucking Sunday. <sighs> Don't judge me. <laughs> there is much judgment to be had on that issue. <laughs> I, I go to Costco when I am moved to go to Costco. That is prime grazing time. People get out of church and go to Costco to eat lunch. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> That's just terrible. Anyways, catch you. Oh, 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 oh. We're going to do a series of podcasts on Quantum Bang. Um, 
as far as like uh, fixits and insertion points and different types of fixits. So if there's anything in particular that you would like to see in those podcasts, uh, please go over to the Ask Me Anything question and put um, first put like a uh, quantum craft and then do a dash and then put your idea about what you would like to see in a podcast. So as we prepare to start signups in August for the next one, um, your your input would be helpful. Yeah, so uh, we're going to try to keep them like a little short and topical so we can like address one topic at a time and like, you know, so people who want to know about this particular thing can go and listen to the podcast, but it's the it's the chat right above this one. I just be sure to note that it's for the quantum bang. And um Steele, if you'll stay a minute, I will give you a link to the headset that I'm using. Um I can be fucking really super succinct. She Ever how you say that word? She can be too succinct. Because if you you've obviously never been on the other end of a fuck you email. <laughs> I am not using OBS because OBS did me so wrong. If you look over in the podcast audio, the very first person in the chat, his name is Craig. He has got a pacifier. And he is doing our recording for us. He is a recording bot. And he does a very good job. We have had one little stipe, one little stumble. And he actually told me about the stumble, but I wasn't paying attention um, and missed it. So that was my fault, not his. I mean, he had a stumble, obviously, so that's his fault. But it's my fault that I didn't notice and we had 20 minutes of unrecorded. Because if I'd known, I could have thrown him out and started him back in. Anyways, um, if you'll stick around, I'll give you the link for that. And... Uh, like I said, go up and ask me anything for the quantum craft. We we really appreciate your input. Um, and say good night, Jilly. Good night, everyone. Say good night to Craig. <laughs>